The following is a production of Omnis.tv. On this episode of Device Drivers, we sit down and discuss Mr. House with contributing developer Mark Merlin. This is Device Drivers. I'm Mike Bartholomew. For years, people have written about their visions of what the house of the future will be. Tasks such as cooking and cleaning will be a thing of the past, leaving us with more time to spend with our families, friends, or on projects we enjoy. Whether serious, such as those published in Popular Science, or entertaining like the Jetsons, these visions have given many the hope to live in a house that caters to them. While many will fantasize about the house of the future, there are people today working to convert their dreams into reality. In 1996, Bruce Winter wanted to take advantage of the sun to heat his passive solar earth-burned house. His solution was a home-brewed pulley motor relay setup that could be controlled manually or by a computer via house menu, custom software he wrote in Perl. This combination allowed his computer to determine the appropriate times when the south-facing curtains should be opened or closed for optimal results. Since House Menu was written to solve a specific problem, extensibility was sacrificed. To overcome this limitation, Bruce rewrote House Menu from the ground up to be extensible and posted it to the internet as an open source platform named Mr. House. In the 11 years since Mr. House's online debut, developers from around the world have contributed hundreds of patches and extended its capabilities to unimaginable lengths. One of those developers is Mark Merlin, a Google Senior Linux Server Administrator and Mr. House contributor for the last one and a half years. Mark, welcome to Device Drivers. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. How did you first discover Mr. House? Well, uh, let's say, I, I think I've been using um, probably home automation for four to five years, uh, actually maybe even longer, um, with X10. And... Um, with X10, you can do the simple stuff like turning lights on and off on a, with uh, just on a timer with Cron. And that usually is what most people do for something simple that takes five minutes to set up. But when you need more complicated things like, did I push this switch? Is it the right time to do this? And what's the state? Then you realize that Cron doesn't quite cut it anymore. And that's why you would look at a solution like Mr. House, which is designed to do just such things. Um, I got away with just doing the cron solution for a long time, um, kind of out of laziness, because it was good enough for what I needed at the time. But eventually I realized that uh, it wasn't quite cutting it anymore for more complicated things. And uh, when I moved to a new house, um, I ditched X10 and I went to Instant, which is a lot more reliable. And for Instant, you can't just really use cron anymore. And that's where it was uh, basically the good excuse to switch to Mr. House for uh, Instant support. And then I got all the other goodies that came with it. And another thing uh, good about Instion is it's X10 backwards compatible as well. So you probably didn't have to throw out a lot of your, a lot of your gear. Uh, that's, that's the idea. Um, now, because I was moving houses, I kind of had to rebuild it anyway. Uh, but I did look at all three solutions uh, at the time, which were uh, interesting, uh, X, uh, of course, X, not coming extend, Z-Wave and uh, UPB. Um, and they are all supported in uh, Mr. House to some extent, but um, Instant would seem to be the one with the most support and also the switches. 
uh, and I said the most important, I should say the most users also, which helps. Um, and the switches and devices for instance tend to be cheaper. Uh, and as you say, they're also backward compatible with the uh, X10, which in some cases can be quite useful. I still have a few uh, old X10 remotes uh, which can be paired uh, to my instant switches if I, if I care. But really, since you, if, if, if you have Mr. House in the middle, it doesn't really matter. You can use incompatible products, and Mr. House will do the gatewaying. So that it's a nice feature, but I end up not actually using the extended compatibility. I just have Mr. House uh, be a gateway in the middle. Oh, nice. What more complex tasks were you looking at accomplishing when you moved away from Cron? Um, I think, so in my case, I have lights around the house, and I have multiple motion sensors, and I can keep track of which way they got triggered, um, you know, from left around the house, from the front to the back. Um, depending on which one got triggered last, I can decide whether I'm going to turn one of the lights off or multiple of the lights off. Um, and if you just use the normal extent stuff, those little um, motion sensors, they send an on signal, and then after maybe a few minutes, it's uh, something you configured, they can set them off. But that doesn't work if you have three of them. You don't want the first one to turn off to turn everything off. You want to register what each of them is telling you, and then you decide when you want to turn things off, depending on the input of multiple sensors. And at that point, just Cron doesn't get it. Yeah, you can't monitor multiple with Cron. So our, our lights... You have to keep track of state, and... At that point, you're basically rewriting some of the logic that Mr. House has. Yeah. Are you are, you, are light switches optional in your house? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by that question. Well, if you, it sounds like you have motion sensors to determine when lights need to be turned on and off. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Um, actually, I use them mostly outside. Um, indoors, I have a cat, <laughs> so I would probably end up with a bunch of lights turned on. In theory, you can actually tune those things so they don't get triggered by smaller animals, but... Um, the ones I have, I don't think will work too well for that. So I do use the light switches inside the house. Yeah. But every light switch is actually monitored with a timer by Mr. House. So if I forget to turn it off, it will actually turn it, turn it off for me. And speaking um, of your cat, uh, yeah. could you enlighten us more about the Blender Defender setup you have? Right, so Blender Defender is not actually, uh, I just copied the name from someone else. If you Google Blender Defender on the internet, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, it was the, uh, basically the goal was to keep the cat off the counter. And that guy thought that using strobe lights and a blender with ice cubes was a way to solve that problem. So he put, um, he used a camera with um, frame and motion detection, and then he would use that to trigger turning on the blender and the strobe lights to scare the cat off the counter. Uh, the page is really hilarious, and I thought that was a really good idea, and I absolutely had to find an excuse to do the same thing. <laughs> so I did mine slightly differently, but effectively the idea was the same. My cat seems to like uh, going to the con- on the counters at night looking for food, um, and that was a good way to keep him off uh, the counters while learning how to do um, to set up uh, the motion software uh, with uh, a little webcam to basically use that as input. <laughs> and then I would send it to Mr. House, which in turn would tell uh, my instant switches to turn on and off and turn on the blender on and off. And also, in, in, in my case, it was a bit more complicated because I had to work at night. So the first thing I had to do was detect cat motion, turn the light on, which would then, then let the camera actually see the cat get on the counter and then turn the blender on and off. And after that, turn the light back off after that. Do, so, you, have, do you still have that set up today? Or? 
Um, no, because, well, I have the software still there. The problem is you have to arm it and disarm it because uh, the motion sensor, sorry, the motion sensor, of course, can't tell a human from a cat. Yeah. And even the camera is set up to detect movement uh, on the frame. But cannot be, the one I have doesn't really tell a cat from a human either. So it will basically trigger the uh, blender for us too, which will be a little bit annoying. So it's more like a, an alarm that you set up before you leave your house. I would set it up with an extended remote before going to bed, and I would have to turn it off in the morning. And if I forget, I get woken up by a blender. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, it was just long enough to teach the cat off the counter, and it's been it's worked. So we stopped doing it. Well, that's cool. Uh, in addition to controlling exterior lights, uh, setting up a blender defender to train the cat to stay off the counters, what other areas are you using Mr. House in your house, or is it being used for climate control? Yeah, so um, for climate control, um, I have um, uh, HAI uh, thermostat, so I have two different ones in the house. Um, I There was actually some code that I was already in Mr. House um, that I took and improved, um, and that code lets you both read temperatures, um, but also program the thermostat uh, uh, remotely. Doing it through the actual interface on the device, it's really cumbersome, so it's much easier to have a web page with all the temperature set points, all the dates. You can just enter it using your keyboard and then press submit, and it will auto-configure uh, your thermostat that way. So that's one, one side. Then, of course, the other side, if you forget to turn off your thermostat when you leave on vacation, I can remotely turn it off that way. Um, I also keep track of when they're running in each room, and I can use that because I also have ways to sample temperature uh, to decide if I want to adjust that. One project I'm working on, but I need them to have an HVAC person come in, is to have tubing go under the house and when the temperature under the house is cool enough during the summer, use that as an air intake instead of running the AC and basically get air from outside inside the house uh, just using a fan automatically instead of having to open all the doors and windows and time it properly. That sounds very interesting. So that's, that's pretty much what I do for climate control for now. Um, but yeah, the HVAC piece, you need, you need to have more tubing, uh, relays and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to do it this year. And, and you, I spent a lot of money on AC. <laughs> and you discussed uh, monitoring temperatures at the room level. How are you doing that? Right. So for that, uh, so the, the thermostats I have already have, of course, temperature monitoring, but it's only at the uh, degree scale, uh, which is not very, um, uh, not a very fine data point. I only get 61 or 62 degrees. Um, so for each room, what I did is I installed a one wire network which is basically, um, it says one wire, so you have ground plus one wire, and it's a very long single line bus that goes all the way around the house using uh, the Cat5 wiring that I already have in. And that long bus has lots of little transistor-looking devices, which are basically time sensors, with each own their own address. And I sample that every minute so I can get the temperature set points in each of the different rooms that I have. From there, I know whether I need to adjust the HVAC system. And it's actually one way that I found out that I could easily get cool air from another house uh, that's much cooler than the temperature inside the room that I'm in. And, and how are you actually reading the, the data that's coming from these sensors? 
So currently I'm using Digitemp, which is the easy way of uh, reading data from one wire for at least temperature. Uh, it's just a simple Unix program command line utility. Um, but it's a little bit limited. It really is just designed for temperatures. It does do humidity on one specific device, but otherwise that's pretty much it. So I'm uh, currently switching to OneWire FS, uh, OWFS, uh, which supports a lot more OneWire devices. Um, but it turns out my bus is so long that apparently I'm barely skating by with Digitemp, and it seems to be working. With, with but with one YRFS, I'm currently having a few read errors uh, because the code probably works very slightly differently. So I'm uh, I just bought a hub to segment my bus and make it a bit smaller on each leg. Uh, that way, I won't have those uh, those errors. And once I have one YRFS, it has a very nice feature of caching. Uh, temperature readings because they take up to I think half a second to uh, to get, and then you can read over and over again without actually tying up your bus. And for that, you have uh, interfaces that you can use in uh, Mr. House to easily access those temperature data points without actually having to read from a log file by hand. And if I remember correctly, you're actually using cron though to cycle those temperatures. Yeah, currently I'm using cron for Digitemp, uh, and I think I will still be using cron for OneWireFS, mostly because I use this to log everything to a file, and then that file is being used to feed data into Cacti, which is a, a graphing solution, uh, uh, MRTG-based, which is different and separate from uh, Mr. House. The idea is when you have um, home automation pieces, you want to have the pieces as small and independent as possible so that if something is not working right, it doesn't take everything with it. And Mr. House is great, but if I'm working on it or hacking the code and I restart it and there's a Perl error, um, unless I'm basically having a separate instance where I do all my hacking, which is kind of difficult because I can only, I can only talk to my devices from one process. I can't have them both share. Um, so I, ultimately at home, you just end up working on a live system. Uh, when the wife is away. <laughs> and uh, during that time, if I were to be down for an hour while I'm hacking on the code, I don't want to lose one hour's worth of temperature readings. So that's how using cron to a log file is simple, easy, and it will keep working regardless of anything else. And if I, if I remember correctly, it's you're actually using that same setup to uh, run a fan in your server room, and I think it exhausts in the attic. Right. Well, that one actually goes to Mr. House. Um, so I do log the temperatures, mm -hmm. and then I'm currently rereading the log file from Mr. House, but before long I'll be using the OneWire FS interface to do that a, lot, a little bit more cleanly in the code. And the idea is Mr. House then knows uh, when I'm hit a temperature set point and uses it to send, um, actually for this one, this one I use an extend uh, switch. It uses an extend command to turn a uh, fan on and off in that room. And it basically saves the duty cycle of, uh, I think I'm about running at 50%. Um, it's really just, I think it's probably only a few pennies and maybe a few dollars at the end of the year, but I'm basically only running the fan about half the time. And I adjust depending on the temperature in the house and the temperature outside. And you keep track of your, electro, uh, your electric use pretty well. I believe you have solar panels. Right. So for that, um, so I, I do have a pretty big solar system, which actually, uh, I think it made last year about 9,000 kilowatt hours. Um, and in California, we we pay extra for electricity, especially when you're above baseline. Um, so 
they have that system where during the summer you actually get extra credit for making uh, power when it's most expensive, which means during the sun hours. And in my case, it works out because I get more credit than actually what I make. So let's say if I make one kilowatt hour, I could basically get two kilowatt hours worth of credit back to when I'm at night, and of course I'm not making any electricity. So even though I only made about 9,000 kilowatt hours, I think I offset about 12 to 13,000 uh, kilowatt hours for nice. the year. And my bill ended up being slightly negative for last year. Now, knowing, I mean, having that is one thing. So you get the PG&E bills, which are not very detailed. Uh, it's a little bit better to know how you're doing throughout the day. And setting up solar is nice, but it's also nice if you can save electricity. Um, and knowing when you're using it, what things cost. Um, and for that, you have the little you know, cheap power watt meters that you can pick up everywhere, like WhatsApp or whatever. Um, and those will tell you what you're using on one device in your house, but it's not really a house monitoring system. Um, so for that, I do have in my um, uh, breaker panel uh, three different probes. One that goes to PG&E, one that goes to my C system, and then one that goes to my uh, solar panels. And I know how much uh, the solar panels are making at any given time. I know how my meter is turning with PG&E forward or backward and by how much. From there, I can deduce what I'm using in the house, and I can graph what I'm using uh, just the house or the house with AC or the house without AC. And I'm planning on replacing that with something that will give me uh, nine graphs uh, per uh, circuit breaker. So I know what I'm using in the kitchen. I know what I'm using in the server room and so forth, which will give me more detailed graphs. And the idea, and it's kind of what Google has been doing with the, uh, the power meter they've been uh, marketing a little bit, is if you see your electrical use, you have an incentive to try to reduce it and you think, how come I'm using that much? And then you start looking into it, and you finally have all those uh, power hogs in your house that you don't actually really need. And in my case, it's very easy to turn on, on and off with uh, instant switches. Um, so it's even more of a reason for me to look because I can easily manage them and just stop wasting electricity when I don't need it. And of course, for you see the AC bill, you realize, oh my God, AC is like more than half my use in the house. Uh, then it got me thinking, hey, I should probably get some free cold air from outside the house when I can, instead of running AC, which costs so much electricity. And speaking of conserving electricity, you mentioned earlier about using motion sensors for lights outside. Do you have anything in, in Mr. House and your your personal setup that determines if the lights even need to be turned on outside based on, you know, the time of day? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's actually a pretty simple feature in Mr. House. The motion sensors themselves actually do have a daylight detection, so uh, you can tell them not to trigger during the day. But for me, it works better if I can uh, just use the code in Mr. House. It tells me whether it's dusk because uh, it has um, twilight times, uh, for every point on the Earth using uh, some simple calculations. So I just decide whether it's dark enough using Mr. House, and then when I get that input from the motion sensors, I decide that to turn the light on and off. And that's where also the logic is interesting, because let's say something moves outside the house, turns the light on, and then my wife goes out and pushes the on switch to turn the light on, she expects the light to stay on because she just pushed the light switch, and she doesn't want some timer to turn the light off as soon as she walked off. Yeah. So uh, that's where the logic comes in, Mr. House decide, oh, there's a switch that got used that overrides 
the timers that I have. And if I get a timer expired, I'm not going to turn the light off because someone told me to turn it on by hand. And this is where you do a, a few, uh, you know, you add a little bit of logic to do things like that. So that way I can make the difference between squirrels running outside at night or uh, my wife turning a light switch on. And then, of course, each of them has their own timeout. So if she does forget to turn the light off, or if I do, um, Mr. House will still keep, keep track of that, and it knows that I probably don't need to be outside more than a half an hour at a time. And then we'll turn the light off for me, too. And using Mr. House, how often does it actually cycle? Uh, you mean how uh, the main loop code of uh, yeah. per second? Yeah. Um, so it really depends on what you have in that code. Uh, it is a single-threaded loop. So if your code is heavy and it's doing uh, expensive things, like some drivers that kind of tend to be busy waiting, which is really bad for Mr. House, um, the loop could take more than a second. Uh, but that's really an error in Mr. House. It's not supposed to happen. And if you spend more than two seconds waiting on something, it will actually complain at you because it's not supposed to do that. Now, in real life, it will run as fast as it can. I think it runs a few hundred times per second. Um, but really, once per second is all you need for most of what you're doing. And in your code, you can tell it if this is a new second, uh, then you can do this. Or if it's a new minute, you can do this. That way you can do things once per amount of time. So you can change you can change the interval for select processes, in other words. Exactly right. I mean, the, the way the code was written, it kind of makes it depends on uh, it relies on everyone doing the right thing. Every piece of code is not being busy waiting and doing expensive waits. Um, but once people who write code do it properly, it actually works out pretty well. And what type of hardware, from a PC perspective? If someone's interested in getting into using Mr. House, what should they invest in? Uh, what type of processor? Is there a certain speed? Is it is it taxing on memory? Um, that's a good question. I think it really depends on what you end up doing with it. Uh, in my case, I already had a pretty big server running that was doing other things, so it was kind of easy for me to tack Mr. House on top of it. Um, but I'm looking at it right now on my machine. It looks like it's running with uh, 42 megs of memory, um, 28 megs of which are resident. So, I mean, by two extenders, you know, 50 megs of RAM is not actually a whole lot. No. Uh, it might be a little bit too big for your average uh, wireless router, which only has 16 to 32 megs of RAM. I know that you can probably run Mr. House in some limited fashion on those little things. Yeah, you but can. You can buy some bigger ones that have a little bit more RAM. It depends on what you end up doing with your code. In my stuff, it's kind of heavy, especially all the graphing um, takes more RAM and CPU. So if if you really all if all you're doing is just lights and simple stuff, um, you can probably get away with a 32 uh, megabyte router, um, and that should be fine. Yeah. And, and for those listeners that aren't aware, there are routers you can install third-party applications on. Prime example is there's a project called OpenWRT, uh, which is a open-source solution for the WRT router so that you can install uh, more customizable software. And I know that people have installed Mr. House on that. Uh, moving forward, though, Mark, uh, you did mention a couple of different uh, RF receivers or transmitters uh, that you're looking at incorporating into your current setup. There's a W800 and doing also RFXCOM monitoring. What right. What is W800 and RFXCOM? Sure. Uh, before, just to go back on what you just said, uh, I actually do happen to have uh, 
WRT 600 uh, Linksys router, mm-hmm. um, which is one of those yeah, cheap routers. Now I think you can get it for about $100. Uh, and it, it does end up being my gateway to the Internet. Uh, it has USB, so you can actually connect drives to it, or USB sticks to add uh, more basically virtual disk space. And on those, you can install Debian packages. And that's how I have some stuff running on it. And I believe you can get Mr. House there, as you mentioned. Nice. Um, and I run actually DDWRT, which is a little bit more, uh, has a few more options to support a bit more hardware. But yes, the idea is you can run almost anything on those things. You just have to be careful about the CPU and the memory consumption. Uh, but going back to your other question about um, the RF. So most people who know X10 probably know the, uh, the glue-on-the-wall uh, fake switches, which are basically uh, just little X10 transmitters, uh, RF transmitters. Uh, in the U.S., it's running in the uh, 310 megahertz band. And for those, they have uh, little plug-in receivers you put in your uh, power outlet, and that gateway, get, gateway is the RF code to an extant code on your uh, power line. That's the, the cheapest way that most people have done it, and I certainly have done it like this before. Um, those solutions, while cheap, and by cheap, I mean you can really get that for 20 or $30. It's, it's really as cheap as it gets. Um, the problem is that there's a delay from going from RF to the power line. Just the interface is pretty slow in doing that. And then you're going from the power line to your PC, which is a second delay, um, especially if you use the old uh, Xtend and uh, HeU programs on, uh, on Unix. Uh, I've seen up to two or three second delays, which is a little bit annoying. Yeah. So uh, with uh, Mr. Hoff and Instant, it actually is a little bit faster in reading that. So for, I think you can get down to about a, a, maybe a second and a half. But really the solution of doing it quickly is to have an RF receiver directly plugged into your PC. That way you are not gateway to the power line. Um, the problem with this, then you have an RF range issue since you don't get to put the receiver next to your transmitter, and that's where you need slightly feature solutions. And for that, you have the, the, the W800, which is what most people in the U.S. Uh, seem to use for RF uh, X10. Mm-hmm. And this has basically uh, a pretty big antenna, uh, which you can even improve and it will pick up all the little uh, extend RF remotes, and it will also pick up extend um, security sensors, which are another way of getting on-off commits. And, and what's, that's a cheap way of doing it. What's the range on that? So the range really depends. Uh, it depends on how much... Uh, um, Basically, what your neighbors are doing, uh, how much RF interference you have, how thick your walls are. In California, we have wooden homes. Some people have stone. So it really makes a huge difference. But people have claimed um, line of sight outside, about 300 feet, with some beef, uh, beef and antennas. Um, inside the house, it probably is reasonable to think you're going to cover a reasonably sized home uh, if it's not a fire in the cage, and you put the antenna somewhere uh, centrally in the house. And now speaking on to the RFXCOM uh, that you were referencing right. as well. So RFX2COM is basically uh, a similar product. It's mostly meant for Europe, where you know, on top of X10, there's another 10 companies that are doing similar things with slightly different protocols and devices, and each European country seems to have their own. 
I went to their website. It's just like you just take your language and how the switches look like. But they're yeah, they look like they have a bunch of incompatible solutions. But they all use the same RF range of 433 megahertz, um, and it's basically the same thing that you would do in the U.S. But that's what they use over there. Now, there's also other things that are being sent over that frequency, and the important one in the U.S. is uh, there are a lot of um, weather sensors uh, that can be used. Uh, they're meant to talk to a base that you have in your kitchen, but really once those RF signals are being sent, uh, you can receive them just the same uh, on your PC. And that's where people usually will buy the RFX com antenna uh, to receive them and then log um, data. Like in my case, I get now I get pressure, I get uh, humidity, temperature, uh, wind speed, and wind direction uh, from those sensors. Uh, some of them you can get some different ways, but it's a pretty easy uh, kit you can get from about 100 to 200 dollars and become your own little weather station. Nice. So you're looking at adding weather into the uh, into the equation. Yeah, right now, I mean, I, with uh, one wire, I do get temperature. So I have temperature all the way around the house, like around my solar panels, my roof, under the house. There are some sensors to get wind speed and to get, um, there already are sensors that do humidity also. Mm-hmm. But with one wire, they tend to be a little bit expensive on some because there's not a lot of, uh, usually there's only one or two that you can pick from. And it's not convenient for everyone to have a wire go to your roof and everywhere. In my case, I actually end up putting it there for other reasons. But it's kind of nice to just have an RF sensor that you can put anywhere you want. Uh, and that's why the RF solution is a bit uh, more convenient. Yeah, are you looking at taking that data that you're going to pull from the weather station and uh, would it impact maybe when your air conditioning runs? I know you're looking at, of course, pulling the air uh, from under your house because it's a lot cooler and it pretty much would just cost running a fan. Uh, but taking right. the humidity, for example, in, into consideration, I I do know that uh, at least it, I live in Ohio, actually, so I do know that humidity plays a major role here. And yes, it might only be seventy six degrees outside, but if the humidity is high enough, sometimes it makes more sense to kick on the air conditioning. Are you looking at incorporating right. that data into your uh, your HVAC system and how it runs, maybe in the future? Well, the the thing is that actually humidity for me it's mostly. Uh, important to know uh, whether I should add water in the uh, wine closet. Oh. <laughs> it's dry. Uh, the weather we have here is not humid uh, in a way that, oh my God, it's not warm, but I'm sweating uh, just because it's so humid. So what you said makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. It's just not a problem where I live. But some people would definitely want to do that to dehumidify the air, make it more, a bit more livable. And that would be a very good application for those sensors. Have you seen anybody in Mr. House? I mean, it's the greatest thing about Mr. House is the open source nature. And, and we've seen some interesting Mr. House capabilities. I've known that people have uh, built Mr. House to announce breaking news from local news stations and whatnot. Have you seen any any people using uh, the weather stations to, to impact how their HVAC works? Has it been contributed back? Uh, wait, what do you mean by contributed back to you mean to Mr. House or just uh, yeah? I think those are basically kind of custom in, um, the code to get data and to turn things on and off is already here. So it's more like, as you mentioned, like humidity would be a factor for your use. It is not for my use as much, or in my case, it's the other way around. If it's too dry, uh, I have to re add some water so that uh, my house doesn't get too dry. Um, so 
I don't think there's a plug-in solution that just works for everyone. If, yeah. if you get your kid out, you see how it impacts you where you live, and then you would uh, tune it accordingly. Now, there are a lot of people who have private weather stations that contribute that data back, and I think you can see that data on the weather underground and a few other places. Um, so, for instance, when I go uh, skiing in Tahoe, it's hard to get good data points in, uh, on the weather and the temperature because they only have a few official weather stations and not necessarily on the peak. But if people live around, uh, along the road who have their own private weather stations and they have an internet connection and they contribute their data back for other people to see. So that's a good way to know how to have data points, even though they're not official, to have an idea of what's going on. And moving forward, past the W800, past RFX comm monitoring, are there any other features or functions you'd like to build into Mr. House or to utilize? Um, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of it is actually, for now, um, all the pieces are there, but it takes a fair amount of time to, to look at and to glue together. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. House has a lot of uh, uh, scratch my itch code where people had a specific task they wanted to do and their road code and they were nice enough to contribute it back for other people to use. Yeah. And then there's kind of one person some, uh, sometimes that did a similar thing. So like for one wire, for instance, I think there's like four different ways of getting one wire data into Mr. Half or maybe even five. Um, and now people are looking at the XAT gateways to gateway all their data in one place and then treat it to Mr. House. Um, so it's a it's like, you know, you have like 10 text editors and 10 mail programs. Uh, there's a few to choose from in this house, too. So currently, I think uh, on the mailing list, we're discussing a little bit what our solutions are and trying to see which one is the better one so that we don't write five different ways of doing something that's not quite complete, but find uh, something that's a bit better for everyone and try to pull the, the effort behind that. Um, that's on the, yeah, the temperature and uh, monitoring and sensor monitoring piece. Now, on the home automation uh, front, uh, Greg um, Liming, or Liming, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly, uh, has been doing most of the maintenance of the uh, instant code, and he's been rewriting the entire code to be uh, more scalable and more up-to-date with today's sensors that were just kind of uh, um, hacked on in a way that was not very... Uh, easy to work with anymore. And he's been doing a full rewrite of that that he's hoping to release uh, pretty soon for more uh, wire testing. And I think my next plan will be to work with him and do all that testing with him through the debugging and try to get that new code uh, polished uh, for what people do. And for the listeners out there that are now interested in Mr. House, maybe not necessarily from a developer's perspective of building onto it, but maybe just getting their feet wet. Do you have any recommendations for them or any tips or hints? Sure. Um, so really, I think um, there's no such thing as really as a Mr. House user versus a Mr. House developer. Yeah. Because Mr. House, compared to the other solutions, it's not just like, I mean, you can install it and kind of use the web interface, but ultimately uh, you'll want to write code for it, even if it's for just your own use. So if you want to use Mr. House, you really should know at least basic Perl. Um, it's not not very involved. You can look at the thousands of other lines of code that are already there and just learn from them or copying them around. They're not so hard to figure out. Um, 
And then if you end up writing enough code, you realize, oh, you just wrote a module. And then someone says, well, maybe someone else can use that. And then they just uh, contribute it. But you don't have to do that, right? It's just uh, some people end up writing enough that other people haven't done yet in a specific uh, field mm -hmm. that they shared. So but my advice for Mr. House is um, there are a few Mr. House uh, beginner um, uh, tutorials. Um, I wrote one on Instagram, which also gives you a basic way of installing Mr. House. Um, there's also, uh, also a couple others on the website that you can, you can find. So I would say go through a tutorial. It does take a while. Basically, do plan to have a weekend because it takes a while to read all that documentation. Uh, it's not just install a package and click go. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of uh, effort to get it working initially, but you get that time back afterwards. So that, that would probably pretty much be my, my advice. The other one is um, because Bruce is not maintaining Mr. House anymore, mm -hmm. there are not really timely releases. Uh, I think the last release was quite a while ago. So all the code is in subversion. So don't just grab the last D package that you got from somewhere or the last RPM or even the last tar from the website. Mm -hmm. You need to do a subversion checkout of the current code, uh, which is technically beating edge, but in practice, people are pretty reasonable about what they check in. The next thing is uh, documentation. Um, it's a little bit everywhere. <laughs> I mean, there's the main web page, but there's a lot of modules where the documentation is basically the comments at the top of the module. So I found out some support uh, just by going in the Mr. House code and doing a grep for the interface I was looking for yeah. and finding which module, uh, which piece of code actually had support for it and opening that file and reading the comments at the top of the file. Okay. Um, in that to be, I'm not any better than the other people for the uh, HCI uh, thermostat codes. I pretty much did the same. Uh, there's, the, uh, there's a web page that tells you how to do the basic stuff, but basically after that you have to look in the code and it tells you what the options are and how to use it. That sounds great, Mark. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Sure. It was a pleasure uh, answering your questions. Uh, hopefully it's useful to someone. And yes, I mean, Mr. House is really a good piece of software. You have to put a little bit of time in, but you definitely get a lot back. So good luck to anyone who tries. Thanks, Mark. For show notes or links to information discussed in this episode, go to www.omnes.tv, that's www.omnes.tv, and click on Device Drivers. Have a comment or question? Maybe you would like to suggest a guest or topic for a future episode. We thrive on your feedback, so please drop us a line at device drivers at omnis.tv.